I'm filmmaker John Borowski of the Serial Killer Documentaries, and you're listening to Midwest Monsters Podcast. too that we're you know we're going to get into uh our next film is the deliberate stranger and it's about ted bundy um but uh you know there are some other films about bundy and more specifically one is being made right now that i have pretty high hopes for with uh zach efron playing bundy the stills have been impressive oh man the stills just look unreal so uh we're gonna we're gonna cover some of the Bundy case, but it's so, so in-depth and so huge that obviously we're not going to get into every in and out this episode, uh, and we'll revisit it later on some other episodes. So, you guys are almost getting two episodes right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, really, really. <laughs> That's so, all right. Professor, tell us about Theodore Bundy. Man, Ted Bundy scares me more than any other serial killer we will ever cover on this show. Terrible. I find him absolutely sinister because I don't understand him. I've read, I probably read five books on him at this point, And I still don't feel like I really have an understanding of, of what he was. Um, I just don't think he can. Yeah, I think, and that's, you know, I think, I think that's that, important I to think point the out. Comparison would be American psycho where there's this, like a, a front of who he had to be. Yeah. But inside but, he's a shell of a monster. It's just, He's just, he's the the epitome of terrifying. Um, and in comparison to the Zodiac we just covered, the, the Zodiac was cold, calculated. There was no sexual motivation. Um, that is all that drove Ted Bundy was, um, you know, sexual motivation. He, uh, Bundy was ritualistic. It, for the most part, what he did stayed the same. He had a planned, premeditated process to it. He had a, t- he had a type it. of victim. And um, it varied regularly with the Zodiac, as we just covered. And then with Bundy, I mean, hence the name of the, the title, the, the, the movie, The Deliberate Stranger. He wanted to stay as anonymous as humanly possible while the Zodiac was a braggart, wanted to be in the media, wanted to draw attention to himself, wanted to uh, get under the cop's skin. Bundy was completely the opposite. So I, I did want to point out just, you know, first and foremost, as we transition, they're completely different and then uh, you know not to mention the prolific nature that we know about bundy versus the questionable amounts that the zodiac was involved in um to be perfectly honest bundy has so many victims just that we know let alone unknown that i think other than just particular uh instances that stand out to you that maybe we want to discuss that you think were more uh kind of points along the way with him uh, as opposed to going through every single person so, with so no disrespect what, to what the is the victims. What There's is just the number? so many. Because I, I have that um, K-9 
confirmed? Well, well, first off, he denied until we they, don't know. until they were taking him down to death row. Yeah, but he admitted that's to the 30, one I want to talk 36? about. We we know thirty plus. They accused him. They said, you know, they told him, "You Just stand, yeah, you stand." Uh, that we could probably pin thirty six on you, and he says, "Add a digit to that." Yeah, he said, "Put a one in front of that." Well, when I this said put it at a digit, and mm-hmm. so it was like, well, what does that mean? Add one more to that to make it thirty-seven, or add a one in front of that to make it over a hundred. Yeah, that, I think that's what's terrifying about him is is that you still don't know how many he really did. And when you think about that, and that's what that's what's effed up is that it's scary to you and me thinking, oh man, you don't know how many he did. Imagine how many families still don't and never will have an answer. Yeah, that's that's to me what's scary, disgusting, like all of the above. And he was he was at least known in, in killing in four states. Yeah. Um, one one okay. fun fact I want to point out to the side real quick. Uh, I was just at a conference in uh, Portland, Oregon, and um, I got off the plane and I got on the. Uh, the train to get to where my conference was. Were you getting um, ready to get an automobile? <laughs> I, I did. Later. I knew. I knew you. And um, my uh, my friend, who's the uh, campus pastor at um, Stanford, gets on. And it's funny. I'm sitting there like making direct eye contact with him, like trying to wave, and he doesn't notice me. And then like some people get <laughs> off the train, and I go, "Greg," and he looks at me and he goes, "Oh, hey!" And he comes over and he sits with me. And I said, "Hey, I was just reading about Stanford." Because I was reading my Bundy book on my church work. During trip. the airplane, no one sat near you. <laughs> yeah, right. Stranger sitting beside me. Stranger beside me is the name of the book. And um, so I was just reading about Stanford and a, a true crime. And he goes, oh, did you read about the mysterious killing in the, the campus church, which he is the pastor at? Uh, and I said, oh, actually, no. I was reading about how Ted Bundy was hanging around there. And he says, well, you know. Ted Bundy was a prime suspect for that unsolved killing, and who knows, still to this day. Wow. And and we'll we'll go more into this with him. He, it was all about possession with him. Yeah. And so by even giving up that information to people that he had killed, that was releasing them in a way that was no longer just his. And so that was the problem. He wouldn't he wouldn't give answers. Um, he, he all, especially about the youngest victims, he would yeah. did not so, so I, speak on something. I, and I don't think the movie touches on it. And, and I kind of, it's, it's probably the first time I read anything about it was his alleged first victim. I don't know. If oh, it, the speculated one when he was, like, so he would have been 15, fi- yeah. yeah, 15, 16. And she was like, um, eight years old. It was like in his neighborhood. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was in his neighborhood. Um, Yeah, and he would have been 15, so I don't know if they just, again, it was somebody that disappeared and they put that on him, or, um, because I think another thing that's not usually mentioned with Bundy is also that, um, you know, after they died, he wasn't done with them. Uh, Uh, Yeah, I've noticed that on a lot of depictions, especially the movie we're about to talk about. Because all they want to talk about is they, and I can understand why you gloss over it, because that's, it's, it's, 
fucking disgusting and it's horrific. Well, yeah. and I want to say when this book was written and when that movie was made, he hadn't really confessed. Right. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say when we get to the movie, it's important to point out a lot of this stuff wasn't known yet. Yeah, so yeah, much of these true. publications, you know, I mean, because <clears throat> he didn't admit to a lot until after what ten years. After I, this I, book I think. This movie was I think out? honestly, I think he was. I think he thought he was going to get off. And here's here's the thing. Before we touch the movie, and I don't want to get too much into it, but if this if this happened right now, and this guy was a, a right wing conservative, uh, GOP member, uh, member of Congress, which is something that he was trying to get into, I don't. They would probably be reelecting this guy, and <laughs> and he would be free on the streets. He was involved. Um, and that's with that's politics. the scary thing, and 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 so many of these crimes are. Um, like even when we get into Gacy and stuff, so much of their crimes are overlooked because of where they stand in uh, a, as a class. Um, yep, classism, uh, and you know just their status in society. You know, because because Bundy um, early on was a was a you know he wasn't quite uh, accused, but was like, hey, uh, some things of my friend Ted who drive drives a VW doesn't add up, and then they're just like, oh, you know, oh Ted Bundy, like. Uh, you know, that's a good boy. Yeah, good boy. and they're like, they kept teasing him. Hey, Ted, what about how, like, the killer's name is Ted? Is it you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go play racquetball. <laughs> um, but to me, when they talk about Ted Bundy, they don't even talk about his crimes as much as just how good looking he was and how easy it was for him. It's almost like this, like, to me, Ted Bundy's a spider because he's like... Like, uh, remember the cartoon, The Spider Hotel, where, where they get the flies to check in, and it's really just a place where, you like, you know, the, the flies get caught up and the spider eats them. That was a cartoon. You don't remember The Spider Hotel? <laughs> no. You dripped that up. Um, you I believe it's up. in even some Rob Zombie movies, because it's a little, <laughs> little black and white cartoon. Um, do we want to go through a little bit of backstory on him? What I'd like to do, I want to say one last thing here, okay. and then I would love for you to just give us a Cliff's Notes about his MO. Okay. And without, we don't have to get into case by case, but right. I think probably the last, his last big hurrah. And there's one along the way that, yeah. that particularly bothers me I want to talk about. The beach? No. No, okay. One last thing I want to say about, uh, Vinny, was it you that brought up, or was it, or Todd, was it you that brought up about how he was about his youngest victims? Uh, I, I brought that up. He is being questioned about Kimberly Leach, his final victim. Who he was executed for. Yeah. And, which is another weird detail I'll bring up later. But, and they say, please just tell us where the body is so her family can have some closure. And he says, I'm the most cold-hearted son of a bitch you'll ever meet. Yep. He wouldn't even give him that. Because, yep. as you said, it was him keeping it. Yeah. It was his trophy. Like, and he wouldn't, he just wouldn't do it. I've he found wouldn't. that a lot of times with, with these serial killers that the younger victims are the ones that even they don't want to discuss. Yeah. Well, you, he does on there, not want to, but he does discuss. And if you've ever listened to the audio, have you? When he's yes. talking with Robert oh, Keppel. Oh, man. And he distances himself by talking in a lower, almost yeah. removed voice. Yeah. It's like, so one it of the most clear, sinister things yeah, you'll like, ever so hear. So it was a clear, sunny day, for those of you listening at home. Like, so it was a clear, sunny day, and then you know, I, I, I picked her up at the school, and I took her, and then I took her clothes off. Like, yeah, his like, voice would drop the octave. Oh, it's, it's just, it'll make your skin crawl. Yeah. Ted Bundy was a, I'm, I'm just, 
Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy was a fucking monster, like just an no absolute other way about it. Monster, and, and, and we'll touch it on in the and film. An but the scary other. thing is that he's a monster, but because of how good looking he was, mm. the 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 fan base he has of like just even women that well, are. And this movie elevated. Well, and that. yeah, and the, the movie I read right, because, because of Mark Harmon playing him, who's yeah. very good looking. When they were writing to Ted Bundy, they were like they thought he was real. They were really writing to Mark Harmon. <laughs> But, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> like even if you think about the movie like Serial Mom, I think that this is probably the star of, you know, I know Manson was kind of like the rock star, but, like, to me, this is probably where they, like, glorified serial killer, to me, started was Ted Bundy. This was your first glimpse into a feed into the courtroom where the country was watching. Yeah. Because he was representing himself at that point. Spoiler alert. And then Vinny tries to come over to my house <laughs> and say that Bundy is not handsome. That's not what I said. <laughs> what I said was, it always astounds me, like, in certain time pieces, time periods where handsome is one thing. The, the, the quote that I brought up specifically was one source said, he had looked like a young Cary Grant. And I'm like, we might be pushing the envelope a little bit here. I think part of it is you blend in the charm. And with where he was going in life, I, and I think Mark Harmon was a good casting choice. But for women. Yeah. I didn't realize that uh, Robert Hayes from Airplane is who they wanted because he does oh, yeah. look yeah. a lot like Bundy. He Robert Hayes because of uh, yeah, he refused. Yep, on moral grounds. But I think Vinny would get guts on Bundy. <laughs> There's a sharp right. <laughs> All right, Professor, give us. Let's this. get some direction here. Yeah, some overall. Okay, so we start out even bizarre with uh, Theodore Cowell being born in Burlington, Vermont at an unwed house for mothers. He was born an illegitimate child. More than likely, I think it was a sailor uh, that was the father in the area at the time. Always a sailor. And we moved to Philadelphia, he and his mother, to live with her parents. Where, her parents say, we're the parents. Yep. We're going to mask you from society and being uh, out of wedlock and with the illegitimate child. And Ted grew up. Fairly customary at the time, by the way. A a long time into his life without anybody clarifying this. Um, It's been speculated on different theories on when he learned it and how he learned it. Um, The most common one is uh, after some things had fallen apart for him, he traveled around the country. Um, and found himself back in Philadelphia and drove up to oh, yeah. Burlington right. and looked up his birth certificate and learned the truth there. Um, now, he I, there's not much to spend on his childhood. There's some theories on things that he potentially could have done growing up. Yeah. But for the most part, he was just a kid. Yeah. Um, he didn't always fit in the most at school, but... There was nothing, uh, no red flags to indicate that this man's going to slaughter dozens of women later. Um, Just uh, kind of a standard, maybe a little bit of a loner existence, um, but driven uh, in many ways, at least in the idea of being thought of that way. As we'll see with with Ted Bundy as we go, he didn't always want to actually put in the work. He wanted the accolades um, because he was a con artist and, you know, so, but the really the breaking point, and this is bypassing some stuff with him, but we look at kind of the, the breaking point as the combination of the girl in school that he was in love with and thought that he was going to marry breaking his heart. 
when he was, you know, leaving him vulnerable and heartbroken and kind of aimless. That's what left him out on this trip, kind of finding himself per se. It screwed up his interest in college. And so he now has been devastated by this girl. And now he's devastated by what he thought was his sister. It's his mother that's been lying to him. And so many believe that this is what triggers the control of women, the hatred, the bottled rage, um, and the possession. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I, like I, you know, as we've said, you can go and get more and more details. We'll, we'll gloss over a lot of that. Um, which leads us into the killing. He basically killed from 74 to 79. That's, that's our main stretch with the majority of that being 74 and 75. Yep. Um, his MO basically was he would disarm women through uh, different ways of selling, you know, that he wasn't going to harm them, that he was in need of help. Um, there was a very sinister quote, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he talked about how some women just exuded victim. Mm-hmm. He's like, don't they just, they, you can just tell yeah. that they're putting themselves out there to be hurt. Um, and so, you know, there would be varying ways on doing it. He sometimes would get under, uh, some crutches and try and carry books while walking on crutches. He'd find these spots where there weren't a lot of witnesses and he'd pop out in front of a girl struggling and get their help. Um, sometimes he'd put fake casts on, um, any way to make the girl think that he was in need of help and wouldn't hurt him. Um, he then would bludgeon them. Uh, whether it be right outside the car when he got him over there or in other, some instances, other ways um, to knock them unconscious. Um, this is going to sound weird, but there was never, it, it was in a weird way, merciful, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's not merciful to kill human beings, right? but he didn't want to do the dirty work while they were alive. Exactly. And so he would knock them out. And he would remove the passenger seat from his VW so that he could dump him right down there in the front seat where he could see him and no one else could while he drove. He then would take them out to wild, uh, rural, destitute areas and he would place them there and he would have his way with them. He would kill them there. He would um, crush their skulls. He would strangle them. Sorry, I'm kind of uncomfortable saying this stuff. But he, he would kill them out there and he would leave them there. And he would revisit them. He would shampoo their hair. Oh, but he'd also do some other things with them out there. Well, well yeah, he, no, he diddled I, them. I was gonna say I wasn't done. And and, and, and <laughs> he put and makeup what, what, on them. What grossed me out the most, because like I say, I think uh, the movie we're discussing glosses over this very much, and I totally understand why. You would glo- glo- because yeah, it's it's it traumatic enough. TV but movie. to put this on television yeah. at this time. Uh, but he would, he would revisit, and sometimes for six weeks, months until they became too necrotic. Yep, putrefied. That's dis. As if it's not effed up enough to begin with. As if the necrophilia wasn't bad enough. Yeah, that. But to continue over and over until they became too rotten. Yeah, um, and so that's where the shampooing and the makeup comes in. He would, you know. Basically try and doll them up a little bit as they decomposed. And then he would count on wildlife to destroy them. Yep. Um, that's just the blunt truth. Uh, that's also why they couldn't find them. 
Yeah. Um, animals will come out and tear them apart, eat them. Yeah. And you'd have bones scattered so far apart that it was very difficult to find. Later on, they would come in uh, with whole crews, sometimes with young volunteers, where they would comb inch by inch in a row. They portray that in the movie. Yeah. Um, looking for any little thing they can find. And they found some of these sites. Um, but the one in, one case that chills me the most that I want to mention has to do with one of the first sites they found. There was uh, the remains of three girls out there. They were able to identify two of them. They couldn't identify a third. Uh, her name was George Ann Hawkins. Yep. And we did not know this until he died. That is what he talked about right before he was uh, executed. And it's the most honest he ever was about anything he ever did. And it has stuck with me since I read it in Ann Rule's book, um, where there was a girl, George Ann Hawkins, that walked home from her boyfriend's dorm down uh, like the Greek row there at the university in a very small stretch. Yeah. Yeah. Small stretch of alley where she stopped at by a frat house and was talking to somebody from a window, a friend up there. And from where she was talking to him, her bedroom was feet away, feet away from her. And she disappeared and they did not know for over a decade where she went. Um, and he proceeded to share the story, trying to buy himself time. He thought that if I truly start giving up information, that they would they won't kill stay me. his execution because, to get more info because more I cases. yeah I can bring closure and I can help them study serial killers. I and, and he once was again, still he's in control, still so full of himself and trying to control the situation. And so he actually detailed this one, what seems like pretty authentically where he popped out right after she got done speaking to that boy at the frat house as she's walking, takes a few steps and he pops out with the books, the crutches and she follows him to the car. He strikes her so hard with a crowbar that her shoes fly off and her earrings fly off. And I'm not saying that because I want to like talk about how hardy hit her, but that is part it's of this part of the story. Yeah. He hits her so hard. Those fly off. He proceeds to take her out to this site where he already has a couple bodies that are in their stages of decomposition. Is this the one where she thinks he's a tutor? Yeah, and so as they're riding out there, unlike most of the other victims, she awakens. And she is in the car with him and thinks that he is a tutor for her big Spanish test tomorrow. And he has to ride out in the middle of the wilderness as she talks about the Spanish test the next day. And that has bothered me since for a very long time. Um and and the the part that's twice as mind blowing is that while out there he realizes he's out of control as some crazy people do from time to time and he realizes where are shoes i don't have anything to protect you know like uh, there's a trail oh my yep. god so he returns the next day have you guys read about yeah. this oh yeah yep returns the next day you'll never hear anything like this again he returns the next day. There are cops and students everywhere because this girl went missing from this small stretch. They don't know that she's been killed because she's just missing. So right. they don't know where it happened. They don't know where he struck her. He rides on a bike through all that over to the spot where he'd been parked and hit her, picks up the shoes and earrings, takes them with him, rides right back to his where he was staying, yep. which is just blocks away from there. He typically killed far away. 
rode a bike down and got the only evidence that they could have come up with. Something else important to remember, not a single fingerprint was ever left by him anywhere. Yep. He was that well-read He was on good at law. what he did. Yeah, because he had studied pre-law. Um, he knew the ins and outs. And so he had protected to where there was no DNA evidence. And with the way these bodies ended up out in the wilderness, there's nothing there either. Yeah. They'd find occasional things here and there, but nothing to link. Bundy is one of the first serial killers that I remember being aware of while he was alive. Uh, I remember very specifically the day that he was executed. Uh, because Bundy was such an arrogant asshole and because of the brutality of what he had done, his execution was celebrated oh, yeah. nationally. They had Bundy fries they were uh, serving out. And the I field remember the as street. a kid getting ready for school, and I remember my dad listening to the Bob and Tom show in Indianapolis, out of Indianapolis, and I remember they were having a Bundy queue that day <laughs> where they were outside cooking out in celebration of his execution. And they had somebody from their show had done a parody song to the old, uh, I think it's 60s song, Wendy. And instead it was Bundy. And I can remember very specifically one piece of it where it went, who's going to fry till he's nice and crispy? Who's going to be the toast of the town? And then it's everyone knows it's Bundy. Oh, it's just like Wendy. I and I very, very clearly remember that. And I think that's got to be the first serial killer that I was, and I was probably 10 years old, that I was very aware of. And that's so funny, too, because of his celebrity while he was on trial, mm -hmm. like how they were making T-shirts about mm -hmm. him and comic strips and jingles and poems and songs. Like They had it on national television. Yeah. You could watch. Him. Like you his could, trial was like a joke. Yeah, you could and be like, in Wisconsin and watching him defend himself. Yeah. And like, especially in like Colorado, like all the people in Aspen thought it was hilarious. Oh, Ted hid here or Ted ate in this booth. Mm -hmm. Like they thought it was funny. This dude brutalized i was gonna say again least. most of them still didn't know what he'd done yet too right. the, 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 the movie that, that we're going to talk about was made which we before, probably should talk about. But, but yeah <laughs> was made well, <laughs> and, and the weird i always thought this was a 90s movie because i worked a video store when it came on video i didn't realize it was 1986 so the movie came out in 86 he was still on death row you know and would be for a long it. time long after that Nope. So, the, uh, you know, other than probably like his escapes, would he escape twice? Which is crazy. Yep. So that that was probably close to the time they made the movie. They probably still didn't know a lot about him at this point um, to where a lot of stuff is left out of the film. Right. Yeah. Yes, when the film came out, because he didn't come clean with all this stuff about him mm -hmm. having his so way with them, cleaning the corpses, all these things until he was like on his way. To where where he was Dahmer, trying to buy time. Dahmer and, and movies about Ed Gein and all of them, to me... Movies like them were made after they had passed. Yeah, yeah like the movie, uh, The Deliberate Stranger opens with that George Ann Hawkins. Yeah. That that character that it's based around, and, and that's incorrect, obviously, because we didn't know anything mm -hmm. about it yet. But I do want I think we should mention real quick the two escapes briefly. Yep. The first one, he utilized being able to defend himself. He had gotten his defense fired uh, and was going to defend himself. He got access to the library to study mm -hmm. and prepare. And, uh, you know, kind of measured that out over a small period of time and then chose a spot to get behind uh, uh, some bookshelves and hopped out the window. So, something they don't show in the movie is him yeah. injuring himself. Well, and this was one of the only, 
this was one of the only things that the movie got wrong because the movie is super accurate. Yeah. One of the only things they got wrong was that he jumped out of like a 25 foot window. Yeah. Oh, damn, really? In yeah, the he, movie, it's yeah. like six feet. It, yeah, it's like a first floor. Yeah, yeah, he like sneezes and falls out and is free. <laughs> yeah, he jumped down and hurt himself and was out Living. up on a mountain for, I think, six days yes, before they could he get him. On a mountain. Damn. He found a deserted cabin that yeah. had food and a rifle in it. And he went in there and hung out for a little bit. And like, yeah, like it was legit. And he did something. He finally gave up, hotwired a car. And the only reason he got pulled over, I think, was going over the line. He said just by blind luck, he got pulled because over. Because he was exhausted. Yeah. Not because he was drunk. They pulled him over because they thought he was a drunk driver. No, he was swerving from exhaustion. because yeah, he finally he, had to get out. He lost like 15 pounds while he was on the lamb because he was just undernourished. Mm-hmm. And so like... When he's swerving over the line, he's not drunk. The movie would have you believe it was like two hours later. Yeah, yeah. and I think just for <laughs> runtime, they skipped yeah, I mean, it. It's a TV was a movie and, and probably limited budget. Now, let let we probably should get into the movie itself, and let's talk about how th- this was. Uh, what channel aired this? Do we know what channel aired this? I don't know. I'm not no. sure because I was saying, but for, it was for, what over three hours. It was like a mini series or two part. It was probably event. a two night event. That's that's an event. In that time period. Oh, yeah. That is an absolute event. And this didn't feel made for TV. To I was going to say, for the, the time period and that it's made... I, the fact that it's made for TV and the time period, they kind of get away with a lot more than, than you would expect for 86 on regular television. I noticed, like, as I was watching it, I was like, uh, where they're, they're really skirting the... Uh, skirting the brutality of the crimes like they're not showing anything okay this is made for television until you get into the second half of it yeah and then they go into the sorority massacre and that's like holy shit. yeah let's cover that real quick the second escape and, yes. and what ultimately leads to yeah let's do capture. the real case and then we'll, we'll finish up with the okay later. so and just to pick up we talked about the, the first escape the second one came from him starving himself uh, to the point where he lost so much weight that he could hoist himself up into the ceiling through a, this tiny little hole. 12 inches. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. He, he could contort himself. And he did a great job in the movie of showing Yeah, that. he like, did. Wow. Him looking weird, like trying to get through it. And so this is just the real ass kicker. He gets up, he goes up through the ceiling, comes down in the jailer's apartment, yes. comes down in the closet, watches them till they leave, puts on the guy's clothes, Walks right out the front, like a regular wow. old civilian. Um, and by the time they discover he's gone, he's I think in Chicago or Detroit. I think Michigan. Yeah, he was he was yeah, a ways yeah, yeah. away. Yeah. Um, he he hops out in street clothes and is on his way. So he's already got to jump across the country. Where I mean, there's so much time you can't even begin to figure out which direction did he go. Because he purposefully set it all up. He didn't eat breakfast for months because he was like, ah, breakfast upsets my stomach. So he would just leave his breakfast tray outside. So when they would walk by on patrol and see that his breakfast was sitting there, they were like, well, it's just Ted being Ted. And he used all of his legal like books. That's the thing. He he uh, bargained his way as he was his own defender into getting a desk for his room, a typewriter, a telephone, all these books. Right? Yeah. And so like, uh, so that he could hide all the books and paperwork under the bed to make it look like he was there asleep. He could use the desk to jump up through that hole. Like, <laughs> it's unreal. Yeah, he's you a would smart think motherfucker. After, you would think after the first escape, they'd be like, no. He, well, he was he was using the phone to, <laughs> like to, get any to call women and stuff to send later. money we'll, we'll yeah. by his charm. 
And the first escape, too, was, like, part of... He, like, they liked him so much they would just let him go for walks. Like, they were accompanying him down by the river. And when he escaped, what did he do? Ran for the river, hid in the trees that he noticed while he was walking down there so that he could change clothes. The first escape, he wore two layers of clothes so that when he got out, he could take off the clothes that he was wearing in court so they couldn't recognize him. They're like, be on the lookout for a guy in a white turtleneck. He wasn't in the turtleneck anymore. He was in the polo that he had on underneath of it. And so, yes, so he flies to Michigan and then makes his way down to Florida. Yep. And then shit goes off the rails. Because where did he he like to be? He liked to be around education and youth. And water. Yeah, and headed down to Tallahassee is where he landed. Florida State University. Yep. And what strikes me the most about this... um, what bothers me the most about this is that he made it to Florida and he could have quit. He even talks about telling Ann Rule as he walked off that bus, this is it. I'm not going to do anything against the law. If I want to live any kind of free life, I have to stay off the radar. He could have done it. That lasted a week. Yeah. No, he was there a little bit longer, wasn't he? Was it was just a week. It's a week before he, he started breaking about, the law. He kept worrying about how he was going to pay the rent. That yeah. just shows you the compulsion. He was like, he, he's like, man. I may be wrong on that. He wasn't there long, though. No, no, no. It may have been a couple weeks. But he was like, he had a routine. He'd get up. He'd go get his breakfast. He would buy uh, a quart of beer every night. And he would just enjoy this freedom. And he could have done that. Like he really, he really could have disappeared, and no one would have ever. It would have been like a DB Cooper sort of thing. Like we would have never known what ever happened to Ted Bundy, which would have been almost more terrifying. And um, for some reason, he snapped. He yeah. couldn't. He couldn't stop being nuts. In the early hours of January fifteenth, nineteen seventy-eight, one week after his arrival in Tallahassee, Bundy, Bundy entered FSU's Chi Omega sorority house. One week. one week of strength. And Rule's book makes it seem like he spent like a nice three months <laughs> there hanging out. Which I remember reading, I think, in that one where it talked about him trying to go to construction sites and get jobs to get paid under the table, and they were like, "We need some ID," and one of me just sprinted away from. It's the one thing I found <laughs> funny from the Bundy story. Was that they asked him for identification and he just ran. I used to do that at bars all the time. We need your ID. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, he. Let's get down on this movie. Yeah, we, this is the end. This is the end. <laughs> so, 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 all right. So, real quick, though, the thing that, that, that fucks me up the most, he goes in the sorority house. He does all these killings, but one particular girl, when they go and they find her body, it was just like a. It was like a horror movie. Oh yeah. This is where he truly went into an animal because you gotta think we have years of incarceration pent up. Yep. And so I mean this is different than before where he would do it every so many weeks. It's like his double day at the beach. Like he's trying to make up for lost time. Yeah. And he goes in and he's carrying a log. Like he finds like this took it off right out back of the house. Yeah. Which reminds us of that time that we were sitting at Wendy's on Meridian Street after we were at Butler oh, that one oh, time. Yeah. And we saw a big scary guy walking down the street with a log yeah, in his hands. I was like, oh my God, that's like a dead Bundy. Yeah. And he hits this one girl so hard that when they are going to check on the bodies, they're like, oh my gosh, there's so much blood. Oh my, oh, I can see her brain. Mm. 
Yeah. Like I read that part in the book and I just kind of like shut it and set it down. He was an absolute animal in there. Yeah. He bit off parts of a uh, butt cheek. Um, a he bit off a nipple. He bit off a nipple, but that bite on the butt cheek is ultimately they match that dental. the evidence that got him convicted. Yep. Because everything else was substantial. He wiped all his fingerprints. He was so fucking smart that he got away with so much else. But him biting, him biting her ass twice. This is a guy who never left a fingerprint before this. Never left a fingerprint. Never left any evidence, period. Yeah. Yeah. And is now putting his teeth on a body. He's so depraved and carnal at that point that he bites her twice. And that's what ultimately is the only substantial evidence that convicts him. Dear God in heaven, that's yeah. terrifying. 36 victims that we know of. And his bite marks are the only thing that we get to convict him with. Okay, on to the movie. Yeah. Well, and then the last one is the little girl down further south in the state. Yeah. He tries attempting to abduct one girl coming out of school, and the uh, big brother yeah. sniffs that one out real quick and says, uh-uh, and tells the sister, get in the car. Yeah. And then follows Bundy, uh, which is probably not the smartest move, but follows him, gets his license plate, turns that over. So they're looking for that right off the bat. license plate. Yep. yep. Uh, but then he does get another girl. Um and you know, sadly, she, you know, kills her yeah. and leaves her under, I think, a barn for uh, maybe a hog farm yeah. where she'll be, you know, mm. disposed of. Um, and that is where she—that's what she's executed for, or he's executed for. Yeah. Ultimately, I ate at a little bar restaurant close to where they executed him with my family, uh, where one of the people that used to be the executioner is there had a bar and she had all kinds of stuff up on the walls. Wow. It was bizarre. Uh, all kinds of articles, jokes about frying people and they served food and it was like a little pool hall. Uh, but we just happened to be in the area and stopped in. It was, uh, it was a unique, <laughs> unique situation. I not sure if she was one of the people involved with his, but yeah. man, that was weird. Was That's it, the South. Was it Denny's? <laughs> so the movie, uh, deliberate stranger made for TV, 1986. Starring Mark Harmon from Summer School. Uh, I think the year before Summer School came out. Mm-hmm. Um, M. Emmett Walsh, uh, who's in a lot of films. John Ashton, that I know from Beverly Hills Cop. Taggart. Um, and quite a, really quite a bit of, uh, a little bit of good actors throughout the, throughout the movie. Again, I'm not sure. Um, I'm kind of assuming like maybe CBS for some reason did this. But like uh, Vinny pointed out, that it's was, it was probably like a huge two night event that probably oh, yeah, these I, I assume a lot of people tuned into. Um, put onto video in the in the early '90s, and um, probably in my opinion, um, I mean obviously the new movie's not out, but this is probably the best movie on Ted Bundy. Yeah, at this, at point, this point, I would agree without um, a doubt, without a doubt. And uh, I'd put it up there probably in top five true crime movies. And, and because of how accurate I is. think the fact too yeah. that they got Mark Harmon to play him was because uh, Mark Harmon's a very good looking guy and he's he's um, charismatic and it's it's kind of like it's really freaky to me watching the movie but like when he when he calls like his girlfriends and like the people that he the people that he plays throughout the movie where it's even when he's being accused of stuff they're like no I don't believe it oh, and yeah. NBC was the network oh okay. Mm-hmm. 
It's interesting too uh, to point out that with people not believing it was not only him fitting in at different places. Uh, he had no problem adapting, which isn't always common with serial killers. Right. He was outgoing and wanted you know acceptance from his peers. This guy also saved a drowning kid. Yes, he saved a perch snatcher and chased them down. Yep. He had a history of helping people and Anne Rule. Her uh, excellent book, in my opinion, the best true crime book you'll ever read. I think it's just one of a kind. Um, it may not be as crazy detailed or certain angles that you like for true crime, but her experience is like nothing else. Uh, for those of you listening at home, Anne Rule is a true crime author. Um, very celebrated at this point. Um, but she worked at a crisis call center alongside Ted Bundy who was a good friend of hers who used to listen to her problems at home, her marital problems, and also would walk her to her car at night to protect her. Yeah. Make sure she got to her car. Okay. Yeah. And what's crazy about it is she wanted to be a crime writer. It was in the early (laughs) stages of trying to do this and got hired for the gig of covering these missing women in the Pacific Northwest. And she worked with who was doing it at a completely unrelated place where they helped people. Yeah. And then later on, he, she would be one of the only people he would speak to yep. to give all of this insight to this book that no one else would be able to get. It was, it's just so, you're not going to get that again. And she would say, I didn't want this. Like Ted was my friend and I didn't want to believe this was true. She was like, this is a lottery ticket to most people who are seeking fame and fortune. This was a curse to me. Like, I did not want my friend Ted to be this horrible person. Did anybody notice in this movie that the cops are the drizzling shits at handling evidence? Like they're just picking up these skulls with their bare hands. Like, oh, look at here. Oh, I got to take a leak. Oh, I'm peeing on evidence. <laughs> Go long. The time period the movie was made. Like, I, I think that goes with that. Um, I think something that we haven't said is the fact that the people that know him are probably what saved him because he did go for people like he was the perfect stranger. Mm-hmm. But like, but it, to, to my knowledge, he never really killed anyone that he knew. No. Right. I just cracked myself up with a Balky Bartokamus <laughs> joke. <laughs> I had to double check the date on this because I thought that his mother was being played by Callista Flockhart. <laughs> um, the, the, the scene with the computer, which I'm, I'm yeah, so, which looked like a tape recorder. Uh, that was like the size of a wall, but um, I'm assuming that's probably like one of the like it's probably when that kind of stuff was new to like the fact that the police station had to like buy it <laughs> to bring it in. And they're like, our suspect is Theodore Robert Bundy. My God, <laughs> that's who just popped up on the computer screen. Popped up my ass, Theodore Robert Bundy. Oh, good, you got that. I sent that a week ago. <laughs> Uh, quick pause. I've been trying to say it uh, for the last hour. Um, basis for Buffalo Bill in uh, yes with Robert Silence Keppel. The Lambs. Yep, him doing the uh, the whole injured act to get people out to this. Oh court. well, also uh, the River Man. You don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> That's another great true crime book. If anybody's interested, read it. Uh, written by Keppel, who dealt oh. with him up in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah would fly down to Florida because he was desperate for help with the Green River Killer. Ah, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, that too. Yeah, two parts. Yeah, so that part, yes. Yep. And so Bundy would school him on what he thought 
with the profile of the killer because right. of this, this, and this, what he was doing and why. And that is the main genesis of where Thomas Harris wrote Silence of the Lambs yeah. from, which and, I think is fascinating. Right. And then also Buffalo Bill. Yep. Being injured. Yeah. What what size did you say you were? <laughs> what what size are you? <laughs> was she was she a big fratty? <laughs> Wait. Was, was she a great big fat person? <laughs> great big fat person. Um, Sorry, we gotta lighten it up. So uh, the movie's very accurate. I want to yes. say that because uh, I was reading Stranger Beside Me in conjunction with watching Deliberate. Stranger. So very so while accurate. we are on the film though, I had to pull out my two tape VHS. Because I'm pretty sure uh, this this is like uh, like hard to find, correct? Very hard, very hard. Yeah. I had to uh, the deliberate strangers. Yeah, really. I'm just oh, asking because yeah. well, I had to. I had to do on it on DVD. Really? You have yeah. it on DVD? Warner Archive put it out. Well, huh. did not know that. <laughs> well. um, I watched it on VHS. Nice. That just blew my mind. Well, as is part for the course for this uh, podcast, I I got a copy <laughs> from from Abner, and uh, first part clear sailing. I got halfway through the second part, and it went full jabroni on me and would not play. Uh, I managed to find it. Did his still have the commercials? In it? <laughs> no. I managed. I, I managed to find it on the interwebs and was able to watch the last half hour on my phone. Okay. Um, the, just naming some of these things from the film, um, because we really got to start wrapping this. Yeah, one case <laughs> next time. Yeah, yeah. Right. I was just thinking the same thing. Four hours in, and uh, we're hopefully it's a good listen though. Um, some of the things uh, when the detective is like climbing the mountain and he slips and falls and finds that skull. Did that happen in real life? Though? Yes, that really happened. Mm-hmm. Like that happened. Um. Which seems like it was depicted just for the movie, but... Yeah, no, that one, that's accurate. Only some of the names and details were changed, but, like, the mall abduction, where he takes old girl from the mall, that was pretty accurate and true to scene. The beach, uh, his double abduction at the beach, almost spot on to what I read in the book. When he was uh, pulled over, going through that neighborhood the first time, and what got him caught the first time, very accurate, very similar to what happened. So, I mean, the, the film did a fantastic job. Um, I, I just want to say when Ted was at that party with the Republican politicians and he walks away and they go, boy, if I could only be like him, one of these <laughs> days we'll say, we knew him when. Uh, yeah, you knew he sure did. <laughs> yeah, you now sure he's did. president of the United States. <laughs> right. <laughs> but one of the most chilling parts of the film um, is another tr- true story. Uh the girl that turns him down at the beach and doesn't help him because she just senses something's yeah. not right when he's like, oh, my sailboat is over at my parents' place. Um, when she's helping the detectives and she says, my God, it could have been me. Yeah. And the same feeling is later with the girl, the young girl at the school who her brother shows mm-hmm. up, her family being like, oh my God, do it you, could have been Do you feel that Bundy might have been the start of when we were kids, like the... The emphasis to like not not get in the car and, and the white van. Yeah, yeah. Heck, I like mean, I kind of feel like that stems a little bit from Bundy. All the time we were warned about people in vans. What about people in Volkswagen Bugs? We didn't get that warning. But vans, absolutely. Which which uh that that bug is uh in a museum now in Tennessee. Really? The actual his actual VW uh the Alcatraz East Crime Museum yeah. something like that. Wow, wow. 
Last thing I'll say about the film, the synth pop soundtrack was phenomenal. The score is great, especially yeah. for a TV movie. This is good. Like when you watch Stranger it's Things haunting. now and you're like, that, oh boy, that synth pop soundtrack is so good. Yeah. This film did it. Well, and especially when you got it and you got the mountains behind him out there driving that music playing. It's, I mean, it's creepy. Yeah. I recently went out to Colorado and unfortunately had already been reading a whole bunch and watching the, the movie for this and I couldn't get out of my head just looking <laughs> up at the mountains and th- it just gave me the chills. Um, the movie's great. I would recommend it to anybody. I think that the great thing with TV movies and we'll, this will happen as we do more in the future. It, it focuses on the detective work, the grief, the stakes of what's going on as opposed to the gross and, yes. and the crime itself. Um, uh, one other person I want to mention before we finish up, um, I read her book, which is really hard to get. It's called The Phantom Prince mm. by Liz Kendall. Her name has since been released many years later. It's Elizabeth Cloffer, and she is who helped uh, ultimately, even though she still had trouble believing it throughout, she is the person who in many ways helped them connect the dots, calling from long distance and saying, look, this is what's going on. And she was ignored initially and came back down the road after more had happened. Was that said, his girlfriend? This is why, yeah. yeah. And so she, I think, is an important person I wanted to make sure we mention in there. The book is hard to get and it's typically expensive. If you can find a good deal on it at some point, it's a really interesting read because you can see her still struggling um, through her writing with it. Um, but in many ways, she helped uh, finish this guy off in a lot of ways and yeah. bring the attention that needed to happen to him. So I thought it was important to mention her at some point. Final thoughts? Things about the film? Uh, I was just really surprised by the quality of it for being a, a, a television event. I was surprised that just the quality in general. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. I, I think the only letdown, and it's not the movie's fault, is is that it was '86. Um, he was executed in '89. Uh, so I mean, like, they didn't they didn't quite know. I feel like if they would have waited a few years, this movie could have even been more expansive, or sure, uh, sure. or maybe even if the same team had done a like a like a sequel to it. Um, it's the only letdown is. The lack of some of the details, but like for, for the time period they made it, they, they had what they had, and that's the only thing the film to me lacks. But definitely, in my opinion, the best Ted Bundy movie. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Uh, I'm interested to see what they do with this Zac Efron film. I'm hopeful. The images are impressive, so hopefully that that's... Yeah. <laughs> Alright, well, folks, thanks for bearing with us through our first foray into true crime in the horror uh, Who knows? Genre. We may split this into two episodes. <laughs> yeah, four episodes. How long is it? Uh, we just crossed the one hour, 45 minute mark. Nice. And uh, that's... Uh, and we still didn't cover that much. No, we really yeah. didn't. We really didn't. So, uh, oh, one last thing I want to say. One last note here. Uh, in his final days, his last interview, oh, yeah, I was Ted just Bundy thinking of that. blames pornography. For and comics. Did. In comic books. Okay. Yep. I see it. <laughs> so, uh, told you. Man, thanks for sticking with us, folks. Um, Let us know what you think of this. Do yeah. you want us to do this again or not? By all means, yeah. If it was awful, just say, guys, just quit while you're ahead. <laughs> um, but if you like it, 
encourage us, maybe we'll just do one movie per episode yeah. in the future. So, uh, I'm going to sound off here. This is one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, joined by Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Vinny, Hot Toddy. Stay scary, my friends, but not too scary.